Everything changes in today's marketplace. Technology, competition, staff, and even clients. Everyone is doing business differently than they once did. The challenge many face is keeping up with the change. Welcome to Thriving in Uncertainty with your host, Meredith Elliott Powell. By learning from the insights and expertise of guests like those you'll hear today, you can thrive in ways you never thought possible. Now, here is Meredith Elliott Powell. Welcome to Thriving in Uncertainty, the radio program where we cover the ideas, share the strategies, and implement the powerful tips you need to ensure you succeed no matter how the marketplace changes and what this economy does. I'm Meredith Elliott Powell, your host, and I am excited about today's guest and our topic, 15 Ways to Grow Your Business No Matter What this economy does. Our guest today is Dr. Mary Kelly. She is an internationally renowned author and keynote speaker on leadership, productivity, and business growth. In 21 years as a Navy intelligence and logistics officer, Mary trained more than 40,000 military and civilian personnel. She has spent 25 years on active duty in the Navy, leading multinational teams throughout Asia. She was an intelligence officer specializing in Asia and Russia, an HR director, a chief of police, and a professor at the Naval Academy. Her PhD is in economics, and she specializes in development. Mary is the author of 11 books on business growth and leadership and a true expert on the economy. We are really lucky to have Dr. Kelly with us today. Welcome to the show, Mary. Oh, it's so great to be with you today. This is going to be great. Well, I'm excited to talk about this topic and really looking forward to talking um, with you because we all want to know in an uncertain marketplace, how do we grow our businesses? But I want to start with talking about the elephant in the room, and that is this economy. Let's get your take on things that are happening in the economy right now and what should we as business owners and leaders really be focused on and thinking about? So right now, U.S. business owners really need to be paying attention to what's going on with the U.S. economy in terms of both internal and external shocks. So when we talk about external shocks, these are things that impact our life, our business, and our economy, even though we may not have anything to do with that. So for example, economic sanctions against Iran, the trade negotiations going on with uh, Japan, the Canadian Chinese feud right now over soybeans. You kind of look at that and go, well, does that really affect me? And if so, how? And isn't that very far away? And do I have to worry about it? So those types of economic factors are what we economists look at all the time. And these are things, again, that we can't usually control, but we do have to be aware of how they're going to affect our business. And you and I have talked before, we both kind of agree that we're, we're heading toward a bit of a global slowdown. And many of us are wondering how that is going to affect our business. You know, I, I love this term that you just used, and I believe you called them economic shocks. Yes, external and internal shocks. Shocks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so these are the things that we hear on the news and we've gotten so used to, um, to hearing that we almost kind of blot out. But you're saying, in, in, as a business owner, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, what do we need to be focused on? What do we need to be paying attention to? If I'm sitting there with my storefront on Main Street or I'm running my business out of, you know, out of my home or I'm a large leader of a sales team, what should I be thinking about? Is the economy going to shift? What's going to happen? Should I be concerned about recession? So many of us look at this and say, we're going to have a recession. This is a natural, and recession is just a natural part of the business cycle. So the business cycle goes up, and this is in the expansionary phase where we see decreased unemployment where we are. We see um, low interest rates as we're growing, which we have right now. And other leading indicators are things like housing starts, building permits, um, how much inventory businesses have on hand. But one of the other things we look at that I want to discuss real briefly is inflation. So inflation Inflation is the general upward movement of prices in the economy. And right now, our inflation rate is very, very low. From year to year, just this week, it is about 1.85% from the past year. 
That means all of our prices together and everything we buy, excluding autos, have increased by only less than 2%. So that's a very, very low sort of increase in prices. And most of that is driven by low gas prices, low gas and oil prices, which when we're at the pump is great for us. We fill up and it's like, woohoo, we're filling up for less than 40 bucks. This is terrific. But those lowering of gas and oil prices have decreased transportation costs, increased competition, and it's also made that margin for gas and oil companies very, very low in terms of profitability. And the other area that's driving down prices is in textiles and clothing. They have remained very, very flat, and we just have not seen an increase in prices. So inflation is really low. And then, of course, the big question is, why does that matter to us? And so why does that matter to us? Great question. <laughs> yeah, it means that you have to be really careful about raising your prices right now because your competitors probably aren't. And if they are, you have to look at that 2% inflation rate and say, is that true in my industry? What is, the, what is the increase in prices that I can stay competitive at in the marketplace I'm in? So if you've ever noticed when one fast food company uh, has a dollar menu, then other people follow suit with the dollar menu. When the airlines, when one drops their prices, the other drop their, drops their prices, and the increase is true as well. So we have to pay attention to the inflation or the, the price levels of our competitors. I, I love that. I think that was gold, um, what you just said there, that, the, that you really have to pay attention to the pricing as it relates to your uh, marketplace. You know, you, you sometimes you get pressure, I know in the business I'm in, you get pressure in to, to, to raise prices and, and you, you really need to sit around and think about what is happening in, the, in your particular marketplace and will it hold if you raise the prices. Now, you have talked about some of these um, markets that maybe are struggling a little per, from a pricing perspective, but what's hot? So what's hot right now is what I call the math function. Anything that deals with math. And by math, I mean the baby boomers, Gen Xers, uh, silent generation, senior generation, anybody who's essentially not um, in the millennial generation Z category. And what we care about in terms of the economy is whether or not we have enough money to buy the alcohol, travel, and health that we want. If you don't like the word alcohol, you can substitute adventure because that's what we want. It's a math function. We are getting older and we don't want to be inconvenienced by health issues, by um, inconveniences. We want to be able to buy what we want and enjoy what we want. And we have very little tolerance for any inconvenience in that regard. So anything to do with healthcare, some of the top growing jobs right now in America and the top 25 jobs um, the top best paying jobs, 15 of them deal in the healthcare industry. In the top five top paying jobs, um, three, physician's assistants, home health care assistants, and additional nursing is, are all in the top five. So and those are the top five that don't require an advanced degree. So these are things that are driving the economy. Healthcare, social assistance, construction is very hot right now, and financial services are very hot. Interesting. Um, you know, I think that um, I, I wonder about we talked. You talked about the low unemployment uh, rate a minute ago, but what about this term that we hear so much out there about of underemployment? How much yeah. of that is is valid and true, and anything we need to be concerned about? And how does that impact the economy? So underemployment means that you are qualified for doing more work than what you're doing. So this is, say you're a rocket scientist and you're working at a fast food joint. Maybe you are underemployed for your skill set. Now, here's where the danger comes in. Right now, the biggest participant coming into the workforce is not as a percentage in the millennial or Generation Z category. It is the over 55 crowd, and they are coming back into the workplace in record percentage numbers, and their labor force participation rate, again, just think of how many people over 55 are actively working. That's the labor participation rate, and they're coming back into the workforce, so we have to be careful not to discriminate against workers who maybe don't look like what we thought we were going to hire. Maybe you were a rocket scientist and you're like, you know what? That's a lot of pressure. I don't really need that amount of pressure. I do want to work the window and um, hand people food in a paper sack. There's nothing wrong with that. So sometimes we've got this idea that um, people who are what we would consider underemployed or overqualified for jobs don't want those jobs, especially if they might be in a different demographic. And we have to be very mindful of the fact that maybe that is 
maybe they're on their second or third career and they just want something that they don't have to stress about. There's a reason, for example, that Walmart loves to hire retired people to be Walmart greeters. And those are also supposed to be the, the first line of security, checking your bag when you leave the store. Now, and they do that because these people want something to do. They want a reason to get up in the morning. And sometimes we inadvertently maybe discriminate against uh, that over 55 crowd. You know, I think that's, um, I, I think this is, is such an interesting topic because one of the biggest issues that business owners and leaders have is trying to find help, right? I mean, we see it all the time. They're talking about the unemployment numbers being low, but at the same time, we have more people in the workplace, more people eligible to be working than ever before. I mean, we have, you know, we go from Gen Z to millennials to, you know, Gen X to boomers to even probably few um, uh, traditionalists. We were just talking uh, last night at dinner with a couple who, um, who know a gentleman who's 92 who still gets up and goes, uh, you know, to work every day. So what should I, as a leader or business owner, if I am facing trying to, to find the talent, how should I be shifting my paradigm and adjusting things? We have to remember that many people who are in the workplace have a variety of background skills and experience. And so that talent, skill, and ability that we're looking for may not look like what it is we thought we were looking for. Um, there's more online hiring. More and more people are finding jobs through social media, through online things, instead of where many people 20 years ago were looking in that was through friends and, you know, newspaper ads. Newspaper ads right now for jobs seems quaint, and it's just not effective. It's, um, it's one of those areas where we wonder how this has shifted, and many, when CEOs and HR directors say that they can't find people, I ask them where they're looking. And part of that problem is creating this marketplace for jobs and job hunters today have to make sure and people who are looking to hire have to make sure that they're on LinkedIn, that they're on social media, that there's a presence and also that their job is reflective of what it or their job description is reflective of what it is they're actually going to do when they show up. Because we've heard stories and you and I both have of employees ghosting their employers where they show up in the morning and then they leave for lunch and they just never come back. And the reason is because when they were trying to attract those potential employees to the organization, they put such a big face on what they'd be doing. Oh yes, we just sit around and have fun times all the time that once the employees get there and they realize it's not what was advertised, they leave. So in our job descriptions and in where we're advertising and our presence, our, our web presence, our Facebook, our Twitter, our LinkedIn, our YouTube, our Pinterest, our Instagram, and our Snapchat, we've got to make sure all of those accurately portray what it is we do. And if we're trying to attract, you know, the college age generation, we have to be on Snapchat. And it's the fastest growing social media for kids that, I said kids, young people, young, smart grownups, uh, that age, because... We don't. We sometimes go. Well, wait a second. Why should I create a campaign that disappears after 24 hours? It's a little bit hard for us to fathom this. But if that is where our potential employees are, then we have to go to where they are. You know, the other thing I love about it is everything that you're talking about doesn't have a price tag to go with it. It I doesn't. Mean, it's yeah. remarkably effective. But you got to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think that. Um, you know, something that, that you brought up in that this, this struggle to, um, to attract, you know, to attract talent and to keep good workers or just to find people to work. I mean, part of that, part of that goes, that really goes with that is our responsibility to create a working environment that would attract people. Because I do think that's something that has shifted in today's marketplace. I mean, there, there is no shame in, in living with your parents longer. There is no shame in, in being unemployed. And there, you know, there, a lot of those things have changed in our society that have made it easier for workers to walk away, say, than um, the traditionalist or the, or the upper end of the boomers generation were allowed to do. You're exactly right. And you might be interested to know that the average person who moves back in with mommy and daddy is a 26-year-old college-educated male who is not working full-time, but they're college-educated. And again, there's kind of the, the, 
the parents' generation have created a generation of people who are okay with not being employed and let's go find ourselves for a year and we don't have to worry about money necessarily and they feel like they've got this safety net. So you're right, part of that has, we've created it first off, but second off, this we can't blame the changing workforce on a particular generation. What we have to acknowledge is that the workplace itself is evolving. It's constantly evolving. We just assigned it some parameters based on trends that all of a sudden became apparent. And I hear a lot of, I'll say, more experienced leaders blaming shifts in the workplace on the millennials. And I'm like, stop blaming the millennials. They didn't create this. We created an environment where People at work um, feel like they have the ability to question, which I think is healthy. You look at it as being arrogant. I look at it as thoughtful questioning. Um, Some people might see certain behaviors as being needy. And I look at it as, hey, they really want to make sure they're doing the right thing. They've got competing interests and there's all kinds of distractions and they want to make sure they're on the right track. That it might look as though they um, have a constant desire for approval and feedback. Well, again, the reality is they want to make sure they're doing a good job. They don't want to disappoint you. So we have to frame differently how we look at certain behaviors. And we also have to understand as employers that a salary is going to attract workers. The benefits package is going to entice them, but flexibility in the workforce is going to keep them. And I think Uh, flexibility is huge. Flexibility is huge. And I want to continue this conversation as soon as we come back from break. We're going to take a short commercial break and come back and talk some more with Dr. Mary Kelly about we're going to transition into some things that you can do to grow your business no matter what this economy does. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to learn the business strategies you need to succeed no matter what this economy does? Are you interested in learning how the top organizations and how successful leaders are making change work for their companies and using uncertainty as their greatest competitive advantage? Then join the thousands of business owners, sales professionals, and entrepreneurs who have found the answers. Business growth expert Meredith Elliott Powell, author of Thrive, Strategies for Success in Uncertainty, offers powerful keynotes, workshops, and training courses for organizations and leaders of sales professionals looking to take their companies to the next level. Voted a top 15 business growth expert to watch and top 40 motivational speaker, Meredith coaches executives, trains next level leaders, and builds sales teams in her innovative three-step proven system to thrive in uncertainty. To learn more, go to valuespeaker.com. To speak with Meredith directly, book Meredith to speak and learn more about her training programs. That's valuespeaker.com. Visit today. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Thriving in Uncertainty. If you have a question or comment about our program, Meredith would love to hear from you. Her email address is M-E-R-E at valuespeaker.com. Again, that's M-E-R-E at valuespeaker.com. Now back to Thriving in Uncertainty. And welcome back to Thriving in Uncertainty, the radio program where we cover the ideas, share the strategies, and implement the powerful tips you need to ensure you succeed no matter what this economy does. Well, if you have been listening, you have been spending time here with Dr. Mary Kelly, internationally renowned author and keynote speaker on leadership, productivity, and business growth. All right, Dr. Kelly. Mary, at the break, we were talking about how important flexibility is in the culture that when you go to attract and employ um, your talent. Let's talk a little bit, go over the go over the three that need to be there again, and then let's dive into flexibility. Meredith, as we were talking, we know that as employers, our salary attracts people to the job. 
our benefits package entices people to the job, but it's our flexibility as leaders that keep them in the job. So we have to understand that for most of the younger generation, 52% of them say that flexibility and work-life balance are the critical tipping point that would keep them in a job or not. Now, before we get all excited about the millennial and generation Z people changing the workforce, keep in mind that once this idea of, hey, wait, we can be flexible at work, guess what? The baby boomers and Gen Xers jumped right on that. They said, you know what? We are getting sandwiched between taking care of our parents and taking care of our kids. And we love the idea that we are not bound by such a strict nine to five schedule with 15 minute breaks twice a day and a 30 minute lunch, that we can combine our breaks, that we can come in later, we can work later, we can work when it's better for our circadian rhythm. We can get up really early and work early if we want. If you want to attract top talent right now, you cannot be bound by geography or set working hours. What we are seeing is an increased an increased push for results-driven employment, not just punching a clock. People want to know now, can you do the job? And that's all that matters. We don't care if you're working at midnight. We don't care if you're working at three in the morning. We don't care if you're working at the little league game that your kid's playing at. If you are able to get those results, good on you. Well, you know, it would make sense that that you would begin to be more flexible in the workplace because we do expect people to respond all the time. I mean, the you know, one of the one of the challenges of working today is the fact that you're always accessible. At the same time, it's one of the biggest benefits. Um, I work with a company where the um, we're working on really integrating the culture because the CEO has really taken very much a hands-on approach to her regional directors. And one regional director is having a terrible turnover problem, but he requires people to be at their desks at nine, stay at their desks until five, and really very much stick to the exactly an hour for, you know, an hour for lunch. And the workforce he's got is older and is aging out and young people just don't stay on. And part of the challenge is because they're still responding to emails at night. They're responding to texts. They're expected to travel some for work. So, so much of it has changed. Would you not agree? I totally agree. And I got to tell you, even the older workers are going, we don't like it either. Yeah. Uh, I've got a medical appointment at 9.15. This is ridiculous. I'm working, I worked last weekend. I'm working at night and weekends that I don't need to be bound by nine to five. And that's really antiquated thinking when we were, we had people in, in factories that we felt like, oh gosh, you know, we have to watch them every second, you know, really a hundred years ago type stuff. And even now our factories right now, they've got flexible hours. They're like, sure, come on in. You can work this shift. You can work that shift. You can work from this time to that time. Our factories are flexible. So many organizations are, they've never tried flexible work schedules and it doesn't mean that they can't. It just means that you have to work around a few things. And then the the big objection I hear from employers and supervisors and leaders is, well, well then how will I know if they're working? And I laugh. I'm like, do you really think your people at work are working all the time while they're there? If they've got another crisis going on, their focus is not on yours. Exactly. I mean, just because of it, just because an employee comes to work every day doesn't mean they're they're giving you really you know really giving you their all. The biggest theme that I'm you know that I'm really catching from you in in the interview that we've done so far is that you need to be very open to to looking at what you're looking at how you're leading, looking at what you're doing, and being open to let's use the term flexible in changing. How you, how you lead, how you look at the products and services that you offer, and that so much in the marketplace is shifting that you've got to be open to moving with it. It's going to be those organizations that are able to stay ahead. You're so right. And you and I both do leadership programs for large organizations and companies. And one of the things I think we both hit on is as leaders, you know, it's not a one size fits all. As a leader, you have to adjust your leadership style based on what is best for that person you're leading. And it's the same with all aspects of having a great employee. If you've got highly motivated, highly productive, high potential employees, you basically just turn them loose and let them go. If you've got other people that are really high potential, but they need some guidance, they need a little bit more guidance. You know, that's leadership. We have to make sure that we're adjusting our leadership to be flexible with the ever-changing economic environment. 
want to switch a minute because I want to make sure that we really tap um, all the work and research and knowledge you have of the economy. And I want to switch a moment. I want to talk about wages. What is going on with wages? So wages have been, even with the very low unemployment numbers, you would think that that would drive wages up, and it hasn't, not nearly the numbers we should see. So wages have remained low and flat, and partly because the wages have not increased because the benefits and flexibility has. So partly, we look at the wage growth, and right now, for 2017 and 18, the average in America was about $57,000. Again, that's the average, it's the median, that's the middle of the road. But right now, we think that by the end of 2019, that number is going to jump up to 65000 And that is a very big jump because the economy right now is doing quite well. We know that we, our unemployment numbers are low. Inflation numbers are low. Interest rates are low. Business growth is high. Consumer confidence is high. So even though people may not be making the um, really high wages in terms of what they think, they're taking home more disposable income. And consumer confidence is going really well. As you know, when we calculate our gross domestic product, that's our consumer expenditures plus business investment plus government expenditures plus our exports minus our imports. And of that, 70% of our GDP is our consumer spending. Wow, that's, that's incredible. So if consumers are confident about the economy, they're, then they're spending money, they're feeling good, and that fuels the economy to do well. The moment that fear enters it and we pull back, we actually have an impact on the um, economy going down. That's exactly right. And people ask economists all the time. They're like, so do you want us to spend or do you want us to save? And we're like, um, both, which is very confusing for people. Yes, we want you to save money so that banks have loanable funds. And we want you to spend money because otherwise the economy slows down and then that causes a recession. And this is my fear for the next recession. And that is how it's going to get caused, who's going to cause it, and when it's going to happen. Well, that leads to that um, age-old important question is when is the recession going to happen? And for all of us, we know that it's going to happen because it's a natural part of the business cycle. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And as I think I've mentioned to you before, a recession is like death. We all know it's going to happen. It's just the when that's the question. So I am looking right now at the uh, late summer, early fall into the fall of 2020. And here's why. Right, The things that are going to trigger the next recession, and I don't think it's going to be a terrible one. It's not going to be anything like 2007, 2008. But the things that are going to trigger it are monetary policy if the Federal Reserve continues to increase interest rates, and I don't think they are. It could be a stock market correction, and a stock market correction, we say correction, that's when the stock market goes down. But that's not forecasted again for a good 18 months based on the other leading indicators in the economy. So the stock market for 2019 looks pretty good. So just an aside on that, for 2017, if you left money in the stock market from December to December 2017, in the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones, you'd have gotten about a 21% rate of return. Now that's if you kept it in there and didn't get silly. The same time period for 2018, December to December, um, it, you probably saw your investments decrease by about 45 4.6%, and that does not make people feel good. Uh, the American consumer did not spend as much as they normally do in November and December. Normally, we economists, we count on Christmas as being that boost that we need in the economy. Well, this year, that boost didn't happen nearly as much, partly because prices that were already low didn't drop by very much. So that percentage change of prices did not spur the growth and the buying that we thought might happen. So we ended kind of low in December. But for 2019, things look better. The IMF predicts something close to 11 to 13% by next December, so that's good. But then heading into 2020, if people feel like there's, and this is where feelings come into play in economics, if consumers feel as though we're going to have a recession, just them feeling that way will cause a recession because they will naturally pull back on spending. They will naturally start squirreling away more money. And there will not be this 70% of growth represented in our GDP that was for 2019. And the other, I know it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. I mean, it just is, you know, I just think the thing that you said that is, that seems 
that seems counterintuitive but actually makes a lot of sense is that economists want us to do both. They want us to spend money and they want us to save. I mean, weren't we sort of all taught that as children to, you know, use our money to buy the things that we need but not to spend lavishly and to save the money for, um, you know, for when we need it. I just think that we certainly got away as, from being a society that saved money and we seem to spend it when we have it. And But the moment that fear is introduced, you know, we pull back. And it's interesting to listen to you and how much our how much our behavior can drive either positive or negative results as far as the economy goes. Fear is the opposite of growth because many businesses, when they're operating from a place a place of fear also operate from a place of scarcity. They mistakenly believe that if I've got, if I get less then somehow somebody else is getting more, if I get more of the pie, somebody else is getting less rather than focusing on growing the pie. So this idea of scarcity of that scarcity mentality that in and of itself can also contribute to the downward trending of a recessionary of recessionary factors. You know, it's one reason uh, I really wanted to do this show is that it's, I just, so much I would be talking with clients or I'd be out talking with audiences. And when the term uncertainty would come up, everybody felt negative about it. And, um, and I thought, I mean, but uncertainty is, it's kind of a spice of life, right? I mean, we don't like things to be the same all the time. I mean, there's, there's so much positive uh, uh, about, um, about uncertainty. And before we finish this segment, I want to begin to dive into um, some of the things that we can do to grow and succeed, no matter whether we are seeing a spike in the economy, whether we're headed towards a, you know, a, a natural low in it, Give us, a, give us a tip, get us out of the gate, and as we come back to the next segment, we, we can talk some more. But what are some things that we should be focused on as business owners? So here's another counterintuitive moment. I, as an economist, love a good recession because <laughs> it forces business people and regular people in their day-to-day spending to take a good hard look at what's really important, what it is we're really good at, and it makes us focus with a laser beam focus on the things that we should be doing. So when we get into the next section, we can talk about some of those things, those 15 ways that businesses do to grow their business in every economy. I love the fact that you're saying, you know, you love a good recession. And what, what, uh, what I like about hearing you say that is the fact that um, it's, it isn't something that, that should be unexpected for us, right? I mean, everybody's, everybody's all in and nobody's complaining when the economy's, you know, riding high. Nobody's thinking that's unusual. But the moment it starts to dip, we all think like that's something wrong, that it's something that shouldn't have happened. Correct. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And many people have been operating from a place of fear since 2008, wondering, oh gosh, is it going to be this year? Oh gosh, is it going to be? Well, we've had 11 years of amazing growth, and yet you've been operating from a place of scarcity this whole time. So, how much more business and growth could you have had if you had just stepped forward and been a little bit more confident? Yeah, really, really stepped into it. And, and as you had said earlier, where you spent money on the things that you needed to spend money to, you were mindfully paying attention to, um, to the marketplace, but also did save and, um, and prepared. We've got about a minute until we're going to go to break. I do want to talk about savings. If we could just yeah. do that quickly and just really as a country, we're not saving as a, as a world. We're not saving as we are not saving. We, uh, 78% of Americans right now, Meredith are living paycheck to paycheck. And that is not because they're badly paid. In some cases, they're very well paid, but they're not budgeting well and they're not saving money. Right now, over 25% of Americans do not have $400 on hand for an emergency. That's terrible. That's irresponsible. Now, these same people, these are not, I'm talking not not impoverished people. These are people who are driving nice cars. They have the latest smartphone. Uh, They're not suffering. The problem is, is they lack budgeting and they lack the mindfulness that goes into a spending plan. Well, all right. We are set. We understand a lot about the economy, understand a lot about what we can control, what we need to be focused on. We come back from break, as promised, we're going to dive into those things that you need to be proactively doing 
to grow your business no matter what this marketplace does, no matter what shifts and changes um, happen. So take a moment for this commercial break. We'll come back with one more segment with Dr. Mary Kelly. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to learn the business strategies you need to succeed no matter what this economy does? Are you interested in learning how the top organizations and how successful leaders are making change work for their companies and using uncertainty as their greatest competitive advantage? Then join the thousands of business owners, sales professionals, and entrepreneurs who have found the answers. Business growth expert Meredith Elliott Powell, author of Thrive, Strategies for Success in Uncertainty, offers powerful keynotes, workshops, and training courses for organizations and leaders of sales professionals looking to take their companies to the next level. Voted a top 15 business growth expert to watch and top 40 motivational speaker, Meredith coaches executives, trains next level leaders, and builds sales teams in her innovative three-step proven system to thrive in uncertainty. To learn more, go to valuespeaker.com. To speak with Meredith directly, book Meredith to speak and learn more about her training programs. That's valuespeaker.com. Visit today. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You're listening to Thriving in Uncertainty. If you have a question or comment about our program, Meredith would love to hear from you. Her email address is m-e-r-e at valuespeaker.com. Again, that's m-e-r-e at valuespeaker.com. Now back to Thriving in Uncertainty. Welcome back to Thriving in Uncertainty, the radio program where we cover the ideas, share the strategies, and implement the powerful tips you need to ensure you succeed no matter how the marketplace changes and what this economy does. So I am really looking forward to uh, this segment. We are here with our guest, Dr. Mary Kelly, internationally renowned author and keynote speaker on leadership, productivity, and business growth. Um, Dr. Mary Kelly is going to lead us through some of the strategies we can do um, to really grow our business and put us in a position, which I hope really happens for all my listeners, is to be in a position of power when it comes to the shifts in the economy rather than, um, rather than in, a biz- in a position of fear. So, Mary, uh, kick us off. What is, what's, what's a great tip that you've got to grow a business in any economy? Well, one of my first things I tell all of my business owners is I ask them about their business plan. I have a, as you know, a one-page, five-minute business plan. And if you are crystal clear about your business, the products you offer, your operations, your management, what you outsource, your marketing, your profits, and your success measures, it takes less than five minutes. It's one piece of paper. But if you are not clear on those things, this is going to take a little bit longer. And it is a great exercise right now as we, let's say we're, you know, a year away from a recession, but really we should have a business plan all the time. And what scares me is that many business owners, I say, so do you have a business plan? And they take their finger and they tap their forehead and they say, it's all right here. And so my reaction to that is probably less than enthusiastic. What I tell them is, well, that's fine, but if something happened to you today, does the rest of your team know what's all up there? And if it's not written down, it doesn't really do anybody any good. So we want to make sure that you've got a working viable business plan. And I'm not talking the 50-page business plan that you needed to get your loan. I'm talking about just a one-page guiding document that helps your people know what to do moving forward in case... You know, in case you're not there, to make sure that you're crystal clear and to make sure that in, in the time of any drawdown, that you are operating not from a place of fear, but from a, a place of control and action and authority with determination to ride it through and be successful at the other end. No, I think, first of all, listeners, I really want to catch the fact that she's working from a one-page business plan. Um, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be... Um, you know, paragraphs and pages long. You just need to be clear 
on what you're focused on and then be able to share that with the rest of your team. I mean, I think the business plans have always been important, but I think they're exceptionally important in times of uncertainty because when the economy starts to shift, when new competitors enter the market, when technology is causing you to have to spend, you know, a lot of money to, to you know, to invest in things or upgrade things, we tend to get... Um, start to see shiny object syndrome. We start to worry that our competitors are offering this product, so we need to do this, or they're going into this market, or somebody has this piece of technology. And it's, I just feel that being unfocused can be the death of a business in uncertain economic times. You're absolutely right. And we need to be mindful of where our comparative advantage is. Now, our comparative advantage is what we can do at a, at a lower opportunity cost than somebody else. And a lower opportunity cost is for every single thing we do, there is a cost. If you are, if you are home doing work, there's an opportunity cost. You could be somewhere else doing work. You could be picking up kids at school. You could be at the gym. You could be having dinner. There's always options. And that's what we mean by opportunity cost. There's always competing things for your resources. And this is why this plan is so critical. We have to identify what is our comparative advantage in the marketplace. Because you and I have both seen companies who get that shiny object syndrome, and some of them are very large in their own Fortune 500 list. And they bought up other companies or they get very distracted by doing things that they are not that good at and they wind up not succeeding. So the one page business plan was created about four years ago. I was at a global convention in Vegas with about 25,000 people and their goal was you've got to get all of our independent contractors to have a business plan. And I thought, there's no way they can do a 40 or 20 or even a 10-page business plan. So I came up with this idea of a five-minute business plan because it's something everybody can do. And preparing it now with just an hour with your team is a terrific way to get people focused. So what is the antithesis of that, though? Because we've also seen the businesses that got so focused that they, they didn't pay attention to the marketplace shifting. They didn't pay attention to things changing. I mean, we can think of the Codex, we can think of the Blockbusters, we can, you know, think of those businesses that just were so dedicated to who they are and what they were doing that when the world changed around them, they didn't. So what's the tip that, that goes with that to kind of balance it out? So that tip, of course, is to listen and pulse your customers and get feedback that is going to help you, not feedback that's going to make you feel good. All of us want to be told, you're beautiful, you're smart, and you're funny. And that's what, and I'm talking about our products, of course, but this is what we all want to be told. Uh, there's a, there, where I take my car, I know the three service guys who have worked on my car. They've done it for years. I get my oil done there. But we're friends, which means that sometimes they take advantage of my friendship. And when everybody, I see people who have come in after me and they're leaving before me, I'm just there for an oil change. I'm there for three and a half hours. But they come out and they're like, we know you're working. Um, sorry, we want to put these people ahead of you. We're real sorry. But then I get a feedback form from their corporate headquarters saying, how did our people do? How was the timeliness? I'm like, uh, well, it was terrible, but I'm not going to say that because I know that that dings my three buddies down there and they know who's saying it. So I have a choice of five stars or basically costing them money and I'm not going to do that. But that's the kind of feedback form that is completely unhelpful. If we are truly trying to get better, we have got to solicit feedback, even when it hurts, even when we don't want it, that's honest and helpful so that we can continue to keep our finger on the pulse of our industry and our customers. I always tell um, my clients, I always say that if you see change coming, it's an opportunity. Put your head in the sand and that change will bury you. You know, the funny thing about change is we all know it's going to happen. So rather than fight it, if you could spend some time really listening to your customers, thinking outside of your business, looking at the changes that are happening in the marketplace, you just may be able to fold it into your business plan and make it something that, um, that is easy to digest and actually, instead of hurting you, giving you some level of competitive advantage. That is, that is exactly right. All change, from my opinion, is some kind of opportunity for somebody. Right. You just want to figure out how it's going to be an opportunity for you. Yeah. All right, so give us another tip. So another one is, along those lines, change. Not everybody loves social media, but it's not going away anytime soon. You may hate it. You may think it's the devil. You may think it's a time waster. But guess what? It's here. And as long as it's here, you've got to have a presence there. So make sure that your social media plan 
Make sure your social media plan is robust and that it works on mobile phones. And by that, I mean, does your website work on a tablet or a mobile phone? Uh, does does the right thing pop up when you think so? And people go, oh, yeah, yeah. I go, really? Well, when was the last time you checked? Because many, many senior people are not that involved. They say, oh, you know, somebody on my staff takes care of that. No. If you're the person in charge, you got to make sure that your social media is deliberate. It cannot be an accident. It cannot be sloughed off to somebody's, you know, 16-year-old child who likes doing that on weekends. No, it has to be something that is professional, it is monitored, and that it conveys accurately the kind of company you are. Because you know that in my program called ARMED, How to Attract, Retain, Mentor, Manage, Evolve, and Develop the Next Generation of Leaders, I talk about how that how we attract the next generation to our workforce. And we have to attract them by showing them what it is we do in an honest way. And that is our online presence. When someone goes to think about working for you, the first thing they're going to do is Google you. What comes up? Are there articles that maybe you need to have comments on because they're not that great? If you Google yourself, um, I think we've talked about doctors and hospitals who have never Googled themselves and they're surprised to find out they have a Yelp rating. And it's from one angry person who didn't like the chair in the waiting room. So regardless of the fact that the doctor may have saved their life, they gave you two stars because they didn't. They were kept waiting in a waiting room that didn't have comfortable chairs. You know, the thing that I think about social media is, is that, first of all, is that it's, we talked about this a moment ago, is that it there isn't a cost with it. But so I don't understand the re- resistance to it. I mean, I, I do a little bit. I get that people believe it's, it's a, you know, it eats up your time and things. But you've got an opportunity to promote your business in the one area that isn't going to cost you um, an investment. And the biggest thing is that, and you nail that, is that people are going to look for you. I'm amazed the number of larger companies I work for and the, and the professionals that will be within the ranks of those companies, and they do not have profiles. And they do right. not have profiles on LinkedIn. They're not active on, you know, Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever their, you know, platform is of choice. Because the, if people can't, what you don't put on Facebook, what you don't put on LinkedIn, what you don't put on Twitter says as much about you as, as putting things on it. It's, it tells, it broadcasts to your customer base, you're behind in the times. That's, that's totally right. So, for example, when people go to do a job interview, the first thing they're going to do is they vet you through LinkedIn. If you're a professional in, in America, for sure, and globally, you've got to be on LinkedIn. And you've got to have a profile there that accurately portrays what it is you do and who you do it for. And you've got to have the recommendations and you've got to have you know, what your job is like and your past jobs, because that's how people vet doing business with you. And it's not even just corporate America. It's my plumber. When I hired a plumber, the first place I looked was, well, do they have profiles on LinkedIn? Right. I want to see who they know that I know, um, who gave them a recommendation. And when three of my neighbors gave my plumber a recommendation on LinkedIn, I believe that far more than any of those websites that say, oh, yes, we vet these people, um, and uh, we make recommendations. I believe my neighbors more than a company that is paid by the vendor. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, that the um, we turn to people we know, like, and trust to ask who we should be, um, who we should be doing business with. All right. What's another tip that you love that we should be paying attention to? Well, we all know that when... When it feels like there's going to be the start of a recession, the first thing most businesses do is they pull back on training and nothing could be worse unless it's terrible training. And if it's terrible training, then yeah, you need to get rid of that. But great leadership development is why the younger generation says that they will stay at an organization. 82% of, of millennials right now say that the thing that would drive them away is not feeling as though they're personally and professionally developed and leadership is the number one thing. They say they want development help with in the workplace. And it doesn't have to be a super formalized thing and it doesn't have to be a degree in leadership. What they want is constant ongoing training and they want their supervisor to be interested in their development. Leadership development is key in moving the organization forward. But then think about it from the what if we didn't category. If you didn't 
provide any training or development for your people for two years. Let's say that's how long the next recession lasts. What kind of outcome do you think you'd want? So when people, and you and I have both done it, we call up customer service and the person on the other end of the phone is surprised that they sell that product. Are you sure we sell that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm looking at it. Are you sure this is the right number? Yeah, I'm looking at it. It's on my appliance. And we've seen this. So when you think about scaling back expenditures, look really, really hard at training. Because if you have an issue with scaling back training and leadership development, you may find you do not have the leaders you need when you come out of this. What is it that Henry Ford or somebody used to say that the um, it's not whether, don't be worried about if you train your people and they'll leave you. Your biggest fear is you don't train them and they'll stay. Totally right. And this is where I think, you know, Meredith, when I was in the military uh, for quite a while, and you know I was, uh, our thing was if you got if you got a sailor from another command and they were not where they should be training-wise, you would call that command and go, what are you doing over there? Why is this person, why don't they know this? You're, by the time they get through three years with you, they should be trained in this, 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 and this, at this pay grade, at this rank in this responsibility. And we hold each other accountable for making sure we're all growing together. And this is something that obviously in the civilian world, uh, many people, they will job hop in order to get those other opportunities for leadership as well as increased responsibilities. And I think, well, wow, that's a whole lot of lost dollars in terms of job hopping. Yes, sometimes um, experience from say one bank to another can be very helpful. But I kind of think that if you're hiring back your own employee, it's kind of like marrying your ex again. I mean, what are you doing? Why didn't, if you really liked him in the beginning, then keep him. <laughs> oh, Mary, this has been a fantastic interview. I feel like we have just scratched the surface. And um, I not only want to talk on this subject more, but I'd love to have you back and to discuss some of your other books and ideas, and we certainly know that this economy is going to continue to shift, but tell our readers how they find you, how they get a hold of you, and how they can continue the conversation. Well, Meredith, just for your readers, I am giving them all access to the super secret vault where all of my five-minute plans reside. There are 50 of them. They are actually in a book called 249 Minutes to improve productivity, improve leadership, and decrease stress. But they get it all for free, and it's at ProductiveLeaders.com forward slash vault, V-A-U-L-T. So it's ProductiveLeaders.com forward slash vault. And they get access, just for your, just for your listeners, um, of everything in the vault. Well, that is, that is a gift that nobody can, re, can refuse. Mary, I want to, again, thank you for a fantastic show. I learned a lot, and I hope that all of my listeners did too. Remember to stay connected or find out more information. You have got to top in, tap into ProductiveLeaders.com. Is it forward slash vault? Forward slash. Forward slash vault. Um, mark your calendars now to join us next week when, once again, we'll be talking with a cutting-edge guest, about what it takes to turn uncertainty into your greatest competitive advantage. Remember to share this show with your team members and friends and connect with me on social media. I would love to engage with you, hear your questions, and get your input for guests and show topics. So thank you again for joining us. The show delivers so many strategies that you need to thrive in uncertainty. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Thriving in Uncertainty. Please join your host, Meredith Elliott Powell, for another program next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, embrace the change in your business and yourself. 